So we're, we're at the end of our Happiest Place on Earth series, and uh, it's been good. Somebody say amen. You know, in, in week one, we looked at, uh, at Dory, and we looked at forgetfulness and how God has brought many of us through so many different things, so many different trials, overcome so many different things, but we forget where we've seen his hand move when we find ourselves in a uh, difficult situation, a difficult circumstance, we forget some of the things that we've seen him do in our lives. In the second week, week two, we looked at uh, the movie Wreck-It Ralph, and we talked about being tired of being bad, being tired of living the life that we used to live, but how difficult it is in many ways to come out of that because of the circles we still run with, because of the way that we think, some of the things that we've been involved with. And then last week, we looked at Monsters, Inc., and the business of fear. And it was interesting when I, when I asked, I looked around the church and I asked, how many are afraid of something? How many of us are walking in fear? How many of us maybe don't step out because we're afraid of failure, right? We serve the God that can overcome every fear, amen? Last week, the scripture said that perfect love has no fear. It casts out fear. And in this week, as you can tell from, uh, from the video and from our young adults again, we're going to be looking at uh, Inside Out, Inside Out. How many of you have seen that movie? Anybody? Amen. It's a good one, right? Come on now. It's a good one, right? Oh, something's wrong with you guys. Don't come to my house. I ain't watching no movies with you guys. So number one this morning, we have to get the sin and darkness that's inside out. Let me say that again. We have to get the sin and the darkness that's inside out out. Romans chapter 7 verse 14 says, we know that the law is spiritual, but we are carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. What I want to do, that I do not practice. But the things I hate are the things I do. Even then, I do what I will not to do. I agree that the law is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Say in me. Paul says, look, I believe that the word of God is good. I believe that the church is good. I believe that worship is good. I believe the spirit is good. But here's what I also believe. The things that I should be doing, the things I want to do, I don't do them. I find myself doing other things. And then he says, you know what that has, has shown me? That sin is in me. Sin is not just something that I'm aware of. Sin is not just something that I do. Sin is actually in me. It's inside, and I have to get it out. When Jesus was on the cross... He said, it is finished. Right? How many of us would love if Jesus' statement of it is finished mean that the effects of sin in our lives were finished as well, right? You should be able to come to faith, give your life to Jesus, and then the sin or the effects of sin should be gone. It should be finished, right? We should never have those kind of thoughts anymore. We should never say those kind of words anymore. We should never be involved in those kind of things anymore. But that's not the reality. The reality is his work when it comes to sin, was finished. Your work when it comes to sin is just beginning, right? It's finished for him. The price was paid on the cross for our sins, and a foundation was laid for you and I to build upon, but we have to do the building. He paid the price, he laid the foundation, but whatever you're going to have in your life, whatever you're going to have in your walk, it's up to you to begin to build on that foundation, right? So there's work that's accomplished by Jesus on the cross, then there's the work that you have to accomplish by carrying your cross. How many of us feel that on a daily basis? We all get up and go to work because we have jobs, we want to provide for our families, right? There's needs that have to be met. We go out and we do that work because we're trying to accomplish something, we're trying to build something. In our salvation, the same is true. There's work that has to be done for whatever it is that you're trying to build. If you don't work, nothing's going to get built. If you don't labor, nothing's going to be accomplished. Luke chapter 14, verse 27 says, whoever does not bear his cross, this is Jesus. Listen to him explain it if you don't believe me this morning. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Right? What I did on the cross is my work. What you have to do with your cross is your work. You want to be my disciple? You want to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? That means you have to take up your own cross and bear it, carry it labor, sweat, develop strength. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, 
intending to build a tower, say build, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So listen how Jesus starts this, uh, this saying out. He says, if you want to be my disciple, first and foremost, you have to carry a cross. This morning, if you're not carrying some type of cross, it may be a cross for somebody else that you love and that you care about. But honestly, this morning, I'm focusing on the crosses that you have to bear for yourself, for your own walk, for the things that you're struggling with, for the things that need to be crucified in your life. Then Jesus just assumes that everybody's trying to build something in their life, right? He doesn't say, carry your cross, follow me, and then maybe if you decide you want to build something, we can start working on that. He assumes that you're going to be building something. He says, who begins to build and doesn't count the cost? He doesn't say which of you want to build. If you're a Christian here in this place, if you're uh, thinking about coming into a relationship with Christ, his expectation is you're going to build something with your life. You're not going to waste your life. You're not going to go uh, be a squatter and live in other people's buildings. You have to build something of your own. Carry your own cross and get ready to build, he says. And then he says, you know what? Everybody already has a foundation. He doesn't say, let me show you how to build the foundation, right? He says, you have a foundation, but many people don't finish the building upon it because he's the foundation for all of us. The picture in your mind should be an open field, right? The Lord comes in. He gives you a plot of land. He lays the foundation for whatever building you want to build, and then he says, build upon it. So how many Christians, if you look at their life, it's just a flat land with a foundation, nothing built on it? Because they have Christ, he's the foundation, but they don't have anything of worth or value upon it. Maybe we should have done the three little pigs. We would have had like the little hay house. What was the other one? One was brick that didn't blow down. What was the last one? Straw. I thought that was hay. Straw. See, we're getting old. We don't even remember. What was it? Sticks and then straw? Somebody needs to test us. I think we're wrong. We're going to destroy our children. We're going to tell them the story's wrong. Point being, even if you had a stick house or a straw house and we hadn't got to bricks yet, that would be something that we could work with and we could labor for and we could get with the Lord about rebuilding and strength and structure, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is I would say that there's a lot of Christian where it's just a foundation. Nothing there. They set up a tent every Wednesday and every Sunday. Mm. Finally, Jesus says to them, if you don't finish the work, you're going to be mocked. The last thing we want to be as Christians, as a church, is men and women who have the Lord, who have a foundation, but we never finish building upon it, and we're mocked. We're laughed at. People look at us and say, oh, I remember when they got saved and they said they were going to go to church and they invited me to their services, but look at their life now. It's been 10 years and there's nothing of value. They haven't built a thing. We should be laughing at them and mocking them for everything they ever said, every time they tried to invite us, every time they said that they were changed and transformed. They're the same. Jesus says you don't want to be mocked. In the beginning, count the cost. When you come to the Lord and he gives you a foundation, figure out what you're going to build, count the cost, and then get to laboring. How many of you want things in your life right now that you can't afford right now? Amen. That's called counting the cost, right? Then you say, okay, how much do I want those things and how much labor am I going to have to do to get them? What other things am I going to have to sacrifice in order to obtain those things that I want? Jesus says that that is a spiritual principle that he put into place. Figure out what kind of walk you want with God. Figure out what kind of life you want in the faith. Figure out what it's going to cost you that you have to sacrifice and what labor is going to have to be done to acquire it. I don't think that we, we use just common sense sometimes in the church when we come into the faith thinking that things are just going to happen. Lord, I gave my life to you. Now, now just fix the marriage. No, that's not how it works. I died for your marriage, but you have to labor for your marriage. All I did was give you a foundation. I said man and woman. I said the two shall become one. I said that what I brought together, nobody can separate. But if you want to live in a shack, that's on you. What kind of house do you want? What kind of marriage do you want? What kind of family do you want? What kind of faith do you want? What kind of understanding of the word of God do you want? What kind of uh, worship experience do you want? 
There's people in here who worship in mansions, and there's people in here who worship in tents. Because it's your house. You get to build it the way that you'd like. He says, count the cost. Figure out what you want. You know, counting the cost of getting sin out is difficult. You know why? It's hard to forgive people. That's a hard cost to count, right? It's hard to repent when we know we're wrong. That's a hard cost to count. When you say, look, I want a life where I feel free and I don't have the burdens of sin on me. Well, what's that going to cost me? A dying daily where I repent when I do wrong and I come to the Lord in fear of the Lord, but also in reverence of the Lord. And I say, you know what? I was wrong. And I just want to confess before you, Lord. I'll deal, with, I'll deal with punishment if that's what you give me, but I'm praying for mercy. If you want to walk around without burdens, that's the cost. Right? You want to be forgiven? You want to have good relationships? You got to count the cost. Lord, I'm going to have to forgive people that I don't want to forgive. I'm going to have to talk to people that I don't want to talk to. Jesus just says count the cost. You can live in a spiritual mansion if you're willing to do those things, or you can live in a spiritual tent if you're not. You still have a great foundation. It's solid. It's also hard to count the cost of changing years of stinking thinking, changing years of sinful thoughts, sinful behaviors. You know how hard it is to change the way that we think? You know how hard it is to forget some of the places you've been? You know how easy it is to remember? All it takes is a certain song to come on the radio, and you're flashback to where you were 10 years ago. It's easy to remember. It's easy to, to resort back to an old way of thinking and behaving. That's very easy. It's hard to say, Lord, I'm going to overcome that. I know there's going to be a cost. I would be an idiot to think that there's not going to be a cost associated with changing 20, 30, 40 years of bad behavior. I'd be crazy to think it's just going to happen. Everybody would get saved if it just happened, (laughs) right? If you got saved last week, two years ago, five years ago, and everything just happened in your life, you wouldn't have to outreach or evangelize because people would just be falling all over Jesus if stuff just happened in your life. When they see you that you still have to go to counseling, you still have to go to meetings, you still have to uh, get education, you still have to work that minimum wage job, you still have to sacrifice for your family, you still have to apologize to your wife, you still have to overcome certain things she posted or you posted or friends posted, that you have to wrestle with those things. That's the reality and the cost of having the kind of relationship that we want with God. That's the cost that he's counting when he says that you need to take up your cross and follow after him. He knew before he came to this earth what it was going to cost to save us and to have a love relationship with us. He counted the cost, and then he walked the walk. Many of us look like the young man in our skit where our emotions are all over the place, and they run us. Do we look more like people who have counted the cost, and when something comes at us, it's like, uh, somebody does us wrong, we're like, oh, I already counted the cost for that. I knew that was coming. I knew that that was part of this. I knew that this was my cross that I was going to have to bear. Or do we look like what this young man's emotions look like where they just start running them? Anger just rises up. Frustration just rises up. Sadness rises up. Many of us, you, you're wearing different colors, but in reality, you're all blue all the time. Whichever one of our emotions, ate their Wheaties in the morning, that's the one that gets to run us most of the time, right? If you wake up and for whatever reason, sadness is just swole, you're just sad all day. How many of you have woke up angry? You didn't even have time to get angry. You don't know why you're angry. You don't remember if somebody did something. So you know you're angry. So then you start thinking about, let's, let's figure out something to actually be angry about so I can direct my anger. We wake up that way sometimes. That's crazy to think that our emotions have that kind of uh, strength and influence over us. We wake up angry. We wake up sad. We're afraid to move forward. We're disgusted with our lives. We're disgusted with other people's behavior. So I think the beginning of the work that we need to do in our lives is putting the spirit of God in control of whatever it is that we want to build. It's one thing to know that Jesus is our strength. He's our foundation. It's another thing for me to tell you this morning, build something. Build something on your foundation. It's yours. God gave it to you. You have the strongest foundation you could ever want. He says, I am the rock. Build on the rock. No matter what happens, whatever you build here, it's going to last. 
Then he says, labor, build. He told Adam in the beginning, because of, because of living in a fallen world and a sinful world, he said, now you're going to eat by the sweat of your brow. The same thing applies to us. You are going to build by the sweat of your brow. It's not going to happen for you. Nobody's going to give it to you. He says that, build, labor, work, right? But then we need to put the spirit of God in control of what we want to build. He should be the one leading. He should be the one directing us. It's okay to tell God, here's what I want to build. I want to build a nice little family and marriage. I want to build nice kids who are obedient and, and listen. I want to build a, a nice loving relationship with my church family. I want to build a, a life where I go to work and, and actually enjoy being there and I feel valued and I value the work that I do. It's fine to come to God with, with your list of expectations or desires, right? But then you have to put it into his hands and say, that's what I want to build. Lord, if you see fit, will you give me those things and bless me with those things? I will labor. I'll do my part. I'd appreciate if this is what we could build together. But if you see something different that you want to build, you're in control. You're in control. You're God. Proverbs 16.9 puts it like this. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. What an amazing scripture. A man's heart uh, uh, desires or designs or declares his way, but the Lord directs his steps. That means you get to tell God what you want to do, where you want to go, what you want to have, and then let the Lord direct your steps in leading you that way. Right? Plan your way. How many of us haven't even planned our way? we got no br- blueprints for what we're trying to build. Have you even told the Lord honestly what you really want, what you want to build, why you're laboring? We have to make room for the Spirit of God. We have to pray that his voice would become the loudest voice in our crazy heads. I want the Spirit of God to be louder than sadness and fear and disgust and anger in my life. How many of you, you could hear like the movie Inside Out, you know there's a bunch of crazy people in there. You actually like, you know, you have, you can picture what they look like and what their attitude is like. But is the Spirit of God, like, like I was in the beginning trying to get to Isaiah, just a little small voice in the back, hey, I'm, I'm here. Your emotions are big and colorful, and the Spirit's just like, hey, I'm here if you want to listen to me. We've got to make room for him. We've got to ask God, Lord, bring our emotions into line with the reason that you gave us emotions. Right? You have emotions because God gave them to you. What I'm talking about this morning is not saying, God, take away all the emotions, make me like a zombie who doesn't feel anything, doesn't have any kind of of real emotion coming out of me. That's not the expectation. But what the expectation is is to say, Lord, you gave me anger, you gave me fear, you gave me disgust, you gave me sadness, you gave me joy. I want them to be the way that you designed them to be, not the perverted monsters that I've created them to be. Right? Right? Our, our fear monster is crazy. He looks like something built out of a lab, like the Incredible Hulk. The same thing with our anger monster. That's not why God gave us those emotions. We've just been allowing them to run free and behave in a way that God did not design. He's supposed to be the one ruling and reigning within us, leading and directing us. 1 Corinthians 14.32 says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What that means is, there's, there's emotion in you. There's a spirit that lives inside of you, but it's subject to you. You run your emotions. Your emotions don't run you. How many of us really live that kind of life, though? It doesn't matter what happens to you. You're able to, to grab a hold of your emotions and say, you're not going to run me today. You're not going to make me feel a certain way about what just happened. Are your emotions subject to you? Do you have that authority? Do you have that power in your life this morning? In 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. When when my body wants to do something or go somewhere or taste something or touch something or see something, I bring it into subjection. I don't say, oh, Lord, please fix it for me and just make sure that I never feel this way. No, I beat it into subjection. When my hand wants to reach, I reach out with the other hand. When my eye wants to look, I smack that eye. When my hand wants to reach for the phone and answer it, I kick the phone. Whatever it is, I beat my body into subjection. I don't wait for the Lord to say, Lord, will you just work for a sprint and make sure that call never comes through? No. 
Our spirit, it has to be subject to us. Our emotions have to be subject to us. Stop waiting for somebody else to carry the cross for you. Christ carried the cross for sin for you, but now you have to do the labor to build a life that is sinless, apart from sin, a safe haven, a holy place where the spirit gets to do what he wants to do, not your emotions and my emotions. When anger tries to take over, when rage fills your heart, right? How many of you, maybe it's just me, but I can feel it. When I'm getting angry and it's starting to boil up in me and I can feel the rage, I feel myself losing control, right? I can see it happening. I, I, I pray that that doesn't happen to you guys. But it's an amazing feeling when the Holy Spirit grabs anger by the neck and says, stay in your place. I know it's not me because I don't have that kind of ability. I don't have that kind of strength. I have some ability, some strength, some control. But there's been times in my salvation now where I feel that start to rise up, and then I can feel the Holy Spirit reach out and grab anger by the neck and say, who do you think you are? You don't run him no more. You don't get to just do whatever you want to do. You stay in your place. When sadness grips you, you begin to mope. You begin to enter in depression. I've seen people in this church that used to go into depression like clockwork every month, every second month, every third month. And I've seen them uh, have change and transformation in their lives where they go through things today the same way they used to. They've had challenges today the same way they used to. But it's like the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of sadness and says, you're not going to run their life anymore. You're not going to cause them to do this month after month after month. Just like joy stayed with, with Isaiah, no matter what he went through, or no matter where he goes, I've seen the Holy Spirit do that with people. Say, you know what? You're going to have joy through your trials. You're going to have joy through your tribulations. I'll take care of sadness. You don't worry about that. John 14, 25, Jesus says this. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, say helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, look, I've been talking to you. I've been here with you. I've been showing you where to go and where not to go. I've been telling you what to do and what not to do. But I'm about to leave, but you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to send the Spirit to actually live inside of you. We keep talking about this, about the presence of God. It's an amazing and wonderful thing to be walking hand in hand with Jesus, but it's on a whole nother level when his spirit comes to live inside of you. I'd much rather uh, have the spirit of God alive inside of me than having somebody walking with me telling me what not to do and what to do. Can you imagine every day when you wake up in the morning, you go to get in your car and I'm sitting in the passenger seat? Hey, good morning. I'm your pastor. We're just going to roll around today. Whenever you get ready to do something wrong, I'm going to stop you. Whenever I see an opportunity for God to move, I'm going to push you in that direction. Jesus is saying that's what it's been like with me and my disciples, but I'm about to come and live inside of them where you don't need somebody sitting in the passenger seat. He lives inside of you and will tell you what to do and what not to do, how your emotions should be ran, how you should be led by his spirit, right? He says, don't be afraid about getting what's inside of you out. Trust that the Spirit is going to help you. Trust that the Spirit is going to fill you. It's not going to be as hard as you think to, uh, to stop living a certain way, thinking a certain way, doing certain things, if you embrace the Spirit. Get the sin out by getting the Spirit in. Does that make sense this morning? We get the behavior out by getting the one who owns and rules and reigns over behavior in. Many of us have tried self-help. Many of us have tried to position ourselves to stop doing certain things, and our strength only lasts so long. Our ability only lasts so long. Get the spirit inside of us. So number two, once the spirit is strong inside of us, he'll keep us out of trouble. <laughs> the spirit has to be welcomed in. You saw I couldn't get through the emotions, and Isaiah called out to me for just a second, and then he went with the young man. Then the next time things got a little bit worse, he had a challenge, right, with his purity. He called out to me at the end of that with all of, his, all of his emotions, but I still couldn't get to him because he was still quick to go in whatever direction it was. Right? And then finally, on the last time, which for many of us is a whole lot more than three chances, right? he finally really called out and he stayed calling out long enough for the spirit to actually come and the, and the spirit to change him, to transform him. Right? Once that spirit is in us, then it needs to get strong. 
When we get saved, you're not saved unless the Spirit of God draws you to the Son. Right? So the Spirit is there, but the Spirit needs to get strong. Start to have a louder voice than the rest. So this is what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. It says, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Think about this. The Spirit is strong, the Spirit is speaking, and, the, and they're allowing the Spirit to lead their lives. Twice they wanted to go to particular cities to do a good work, and it says the Spirit would not let them go. How many of you would love to live a life where when you wanted to go somewhere, when you wanted to do something, if it wasn't what God wanted, the Spirit would not let you do it? Just think about that for a second. When we read the Bible, it's not stories about perfect people who had a better relationship with God. It's, it's to encourage us that, that this is what our life should be like. We should come in here every week, every week talking to each other and saying, man, this week I wanted to do this, but the Spirit would not let me. I wanted to go there, but the Spirit would not let me, restrained me. Think about this for a second. Where they wanted to go and what they wanted to do were actually good things. We're talking about bad things that we want to do in places we want to go. They wanted to do good things. How much more do you think the Spirit will restrain us from doing bad things if we allow him? If he's even willing to keep us from doing good things that aren't the actual God thing or the perfect will of God for our lives, I can guarantee you if we allow him to, he'll stop us from doing bad things. They're like, we just want to go to this city and preach the gospel. No, you can't go there. All right, fine. We're going to listen. We're going to go to this city. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to love on people. Their lives are going to be changed. No, you can't go there. Then God speaks to them and says, this is where you need to go. This is where I want you to go. Many of us as Christians are suffering not because we're doing evil, but because we're trying to do good in a place that God hasn't called us to. You know how frustrating it is to be a Christian who wants to do good and you're laboring for the Lord, but you find yourself sad, frustrated, and angry? Because you want to go where you want to go instead of going where God wants you to go. God is going to be clear. His spirit is going to tell you. He's going to lead you to a particular place to do a particular thing. But if we want to say, well, it's still good if I do this, it's still good if I do that, you'll be frustrated, sad, angry. You'll be all those things because the Spirit of God knows what he wants for us. Stop being led by our own will. Stop being led by our own emotions and let the Spirit of God lead us, dwell within us, confirm for us that we're going in the right direction. Through this series, we keep saying that the happiest place on earth is wherever the presence of God is, right? You don't have to go to Disneyland. You don't have to be out on a date. If you have the presence of God, you're in the happiest place on earth. There's no place like that where you feel his hand, you feel his touch, you hear him speaking to you, right? He every now and then washes your feet. You feel convicted. It's like, who are you, Jesus, to do this to me? But in his presence, there's just joy. There's happiness. There's peace. I'll also say this. The safest place on earth is in the will of God. Right? If you want to feel safe, just get into the will of God. If you know you're right where he wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do, there's no safer place. Nothing to worry about. That's why we can see men and women who are missionaries, who go to dangerous places, who risk their lives and risk their families. They're not just crazy and they want to put themselves in bad positions. They know that God has called them somewhere, so they trust that God will take care of them when they get there. It's a safe place in the will of God. Last one this morning. I want to talk about when what's inside begins to pour out, right? So we've got to get the sin that's inside of us out of us. We've got to begin to let the Spirit of God really lead us and direct us where we do go, where we don't go. And then this is going to be the result time and time again 
when what's inside, when the spirit begins to get inside and be strong and it begins to pour out of us, this is what happens. This is from the book of, uh, of Acts, chapter 8. I'm going to read from verse 25. So the same group of people, uh, the disciples, Philip preached just, uh, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Simon the sorcerer. Soon as he was done there and, and Philip comes in with real power and Simon the sorcerer says, you know, I want that power, I need that power. They leave from that location and, and they're journeying on. They're just walking with God, all right? That's what it's supposed to be. A Christian is, is a man or a woman who just walks with God. So that's what they're doing in Acts chapter 8, verse 25. When they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. So here's the picture. Philip goes on a mission trip as an evangelist. He's preaching, he's teaching, God is moving. He finally gets home. And for anybody who does ministry, man, getting home is a wonderful feeling. <laughs> when you're done teaching the kids, when you're done cleaning the church, when you're done preaching, when you get back from a mission trip, I didn't hear from, from Zach for like two weeks after we got back from, from the UK. You know why? Because getting home and getting rest, there's, there's a blessing in missions and there's a blessing in ministry, but there's also a cost. That's why God says count the cost. Right? So when you get home, it's time to chill. It's time to relax. It's time to tell the kids, don't ask me for anything. Leave me alone. I'll be on the couch. So that's the state that Philip's in. Even though he's seen God move, he, he gets home and he's ready to relax. And then the Spirit of God says, oh, oh no time to chill. I'm going to send you somewhere else to do more work. All right, Lord, well, maybe this time you're going to send me to Hawaii so that there could be like a blessing with the labor. He's like, no, I want you to go to a desert. <laughs> so you got to picture again the state that Philip is in. He's not going to be led by his emotions. If it was one of us, we might say, we deserve better. I'm tired of this. I'm angry. I'm, I'm disgusted that I have to be the one that always goes. I'm disgusted that I have to be the one that always leads. Philip doesn't say that. He says, okay, I'll go. So he goes down to this desert, right? Sometimes with the Lord, <clears throat> a desert is not a bad place. Most of us hate the desert. It's hot. It's dry. We're thirsty. We're alone. We're dirty, right? In Philip's case, he was right where God wanted him to be. If you're in a desert, but you have the spirit of God, and you've got joy on your side, it's not a bad place. If you're in the desert, and you're void of the spirit, and there's no joy in your life, it could be a very difficult place. So there's this Ethiopian man. He's a high-ranking official in Ethiopia. He's the queen's treasurer, so he has resources. He has a great life, right? But it says that he leaves all that behind to go down to Jerusalem at the time of Passover to worship. Right? Think about these two different men and their two different walks, right? Here's this man leaving everything behind the same exact way because he knows I've got to go worship. I've got to get down to this place. I know that God is there. He's not in Ethiopia. I know that who we worship in Ethiopia, even in the queen's house, right? I know that that's not God. I know where God is. So he goes down to Jerusalem. Story goes on, verse 28. So he's sitting in his chariot. And he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Just this morning, Mary and I were talking about discipleship. We were listening to, uh, to worship on the way to church. And she asked me, do you know who this lady is? I said, no, I mean, I've heard her before, but I don't know who she is. She said, she's the actual worship leader and worship pastor of all these people who are getting famous right now that are coming out of the Bethel church, like Stephanie such and such, and she, she wrote off a bunch of names she knows that I don't know. <clears throat> but she told me about all these people, and she said, and this lady, this lady, Jen, she's like, she's the least famous of all of them, but without her leading, like, you would never know who this woman is, but all this blessing that's coming out of there, and she says, in our church, that's what I desire. I desire that nobody would know who we are, but we would send people out to do amazing things, that they would make Jesus famous because of the spirit of God that's alive inside of them. So I was just sitting there and awe of my wife for a minute. 
but thinking about this scripture, how this Ethiopian eunuch is sitting there and he's trying. Somebody say trying. We've been there before. It says that he's in the chariot. He left his people behind. He left his position behind. He came all the way to church. Now he's going home from church and he's like, I still need something. I'm trying to read. I'm trying to understand. But how good is God? God sent somebody to help him. And you know what? He doesn't get prideful. He asks basically to be discipled. He says, listen, I'm going to keep reading even when I don't understand. But since you ask, no, I don't understand. And unless somebody explains it to me, I don't expect that I will. Will you disciple me? Will you teach me? Do you have information that could help me in my walk with God? What's funny about this Ethiopian eunuch is that you never hear about him again, but the Spirit of God tells me that this man had impact in Ethiopia, that this man was changed and transformed, and that many were blessed because of that process of discipleship. Right? The Spirit of God is going to lead us and prompt us, but we have to always take a step of faith. Right? When you take a step of faith, the Spirit of God will confirm that you're in the right place. So let, let's go through the progression with, with Philip real quick. The Spirit of God says, go down to this desert. Go on the side of the road. That's where I want you to be. You say, okay, I'll be obedient. I'm going to go there. Then when you get there, the Spirit of God says, that car right there, walk up to it and overtake the person in it. That's a big step of faith, right? It's one thing for me to say, hey, we're going to have feeding friends. Let's go out and, and outreach. Hey, we're going to go on the, the Sunday before Easter. We're going to go into neighborhoods. We're going to knock on doors. We're going to put flyers on cars. It's another thing when you get there for me to grab you by the arm and say, listen, that house right over there, that's the one you need to go to. Go knock on the door and invite yourself in. That's what we laugh, but read the scripture. That's what God said to Philip. That, that chariot right there, go and overtake it. So Philip has to take a step of faith. All, when it, when it comes to the things of God and the spirit of God, he's not going to do everything for you. There's always going to be that Peter has to step out of the boat. Gideon says, I heard what you said, God, but I'm going to test you. I, I have to test you somehow. I have to take one more step. Here, make the fleece wet, make the fleece dry. Here with Philip, Philip walks up to the chariot. He doesn't just kick the door down. He's going to test God too. What does he do? He asks the guy inside the chariot, hey, you understand what you're reading? He still had to take a step of faith. He still had to engage. As the Spirit leads, we still have to step out in faith. What amazing feeling it is when fear tries to grip you, fear tries to stop you, even when you know you've heard from God. I know some of you have been there. You've heard something from God, and then fear just gets swole. You didn't hear that. You can't do that. You're going to look like a fool. You're going to be embarrassed. That's not your gift. Stay there. Be quiet. Don't, don't step out. Stay in the boat. Let somebody else step out of the boat. It's an amazing feeling when the Spirit of God grabs fear by the neck and says, shut up. The only thing they're going to be afraid of from here on out is not hearing my voice. You don't get to talk out of turn anymore. You don't get to, to make them do things or not do things because of fear anymore. I feel like that's where, where Philip was, right? Fear would have said, don't go all the way down to this desert by yourself when you just got home. Fear would have said, definitely don't go walk up on this chariot full of people that you don't know. Fear would have said, if, if they say something to you or they swing the door open and say, is there any Christians out here that want to talk to me about Jesus? Oh, yeah, then I'll go, Lord. But he stepped out. He overcame his fear. Why? Because the, the voice of God was stronger than the voice of fear. Verse 32, let's see how it goes. The place in the scripture which the eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at that scripture, preached Jesus to him. I was teaching a class yesterday for work, and uh, this, this guy came out uh, of the class. He had a Christian shirt on the last two Saturdays, so we got to talking. It was, it was actually really good. We prayed right there outside of the class in front of everybody. It was, it was just one of those moments where I didn't care much about the class and, and everything that was happening. I felt like God had kind of brought us brought us together just to be an encouragement to one another. And we were talking about salvation and 
you know, God's part, our part, maintaining salvation, losing salvation, all, all that kind of stuff. And I was trying to encourage him. He says that he leads the youth in, in his church. I said, it's, it's wonderful that, that God chooses to use us in his work in other people's lives, right? He could do anything he wants all by himself. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. It's by choice that he uses us in these particular cases, right? So think about this with, with Philip and this eunuch. The eunuch is so close to salvation. Imagine you walking into a, a Starbucks and somebody's reading the scriptures and they're like, man, he went silently to the cross like a lamb before its shearer. He didn't say anything. And man, who is he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? And you know he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, how he goes to the cross. There's, there's probably not a scripture in the Bible where somebody is closer to salvation. And if you were God, wouldn't you just say, just, I'm going to save him. He's done enough. He's looking for me. He's right there in the scriptures that are talking about me going to the cross. I'm going to reach out and save him. But you know what God says? I'm going to fill somebody with my spirit. I'm going to ask them to be led by my spirit and overcome the rest of their emotions. I'm going to send them all the way across from city to city so that they can be the ones to tell them it's talking about Jesus. Right? God has a plan. God has a way that he wants to do things. And when we realize that, when we realize that he's going to do everything in our lives through his spirit that he's willing to fill us with, we'll be quick to get the sin that's inside of us out and get the spirit that wants to be in us in. Philip's living such a simple life. We make Christianity so difficult. Philip's life, he says, I'm just going to be filled with the spirit, led by the, by the spirit, his voice that's inside of me. When I go somewhere, I'll talk about Jesus. When I get home, I'll rest. If he tells me there's no time for rest, you need to go somewhere else, I'll go somewhere else. And when I get there, I'll talk about Jesus. Sharing the word of God with whoever he's led to. See, what we're trying to get out of us and that spirit that we're trying to get in us, God's going to do two things with it. Number one, he's going to bless your life. Let me say that again. He's going to bless your life. When sin gets out of you and the spirit comes in, it's amazing. It's a great feeling to not be who you used to be, to not be ran like you used to be ran, to not be used like you used to be used, to not be a tool in the devil's hands, right, to not be a burden on everybody that you come into contact with because you leave them damaged when you roll through their life. I remember what that was like. Everybody's life that I rolled through, I had a great time, but they were worse off when I was gone than they were when I got there. But when the Spirit of God comes in, look at, look at Philip. This man's life was already changing, but when Philip finishes rolling through his life, his life is better. Right? So the one thing the Spirit does is makes your life better. The second thing that the Spirit is going to do is going to make other people's lives better because of you. That can be in your own home, your spouse, your loved ones, your friends, your kids, your family, whatever it is. Their lives are going to get better because of what the Spirit is doing inside of you. So let's see how it ends. Verse 36. So they went down the road, two guys that never met, met each other before, going down the road now in this chariot, talking about Jesus. And they came to some water. Say water. And the eunuch said, well, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Man, if we just take the word of God and believe it, right? He didn't say, hey, I need to go through a class, and I got baptized when I was a kid. And Philip starts talking to him about the real deal. He said, look, there's some water right here. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. In one encounter, gets saved and gets baptized. Both of these men are working some things out in their relationship with God. Say amen. They want more of the Spirit to come in, right? One saying, look, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, whenever you want me to go, because I need more of you. I love hearing your voice. It told me to go to Samaria. I went there and you moved. If you're telling me to go to the desert, I'll go there and I expect you to move. That's working some things out with the Spirit of God. This other man is saying, I know who God is and I'm going to go to Jerusalem to worship him, but I need more. I want more. I need more of the Spirit. There's something that's missing. And he's trying to work that out. Philip was a little bit further along. All that means is that he had built some more things on the foundation that God had given him. 
When he leaves this encounter with the, with the eunuch, you know what he says? He says, look, now you have a foundation just like the foundation I have. You can build whatever you want. Start talking to God about what you want to build and what you want it to look like, who you want to fill that house, how you want to be used, who you want to shelter. Last verse, verse 39 says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. What an amazing thing. If you're a Christian here in this place, the desire should be to be filled with the spirit that he could just catch you away whenever he wants to. Just take you where he wants to take you, lead you where he wants to lead you. Many of us, you know, myself and my wife and, and the church leaders, we have a calendar, and at first it was like the calendar of death, right? So many things, and as you look at it, you look ahead, and, you, and what immediately starts to happen is, man, there's a lot of work to be done. And this negativity could begin to creep in about what's ahead. Whether you have a calendar or not, that's how a lot of us live. We look at our lives and what's ahead, and there's this sense of negativity or this sense of doom. But when you live with God and the spirit is alive inside of you, at any moment, he can just catch you away and take you to a place of joy, take you to a place of happiness. You can be as tired as you've been, and then the spirit just comes and does something, you get this jolt of energy. So my prayer is that the spirit would begin to speak to us and just catch us away, do something new in our lives. Put our, uh, our typical emotions or way of living, just put them in check. Mary likes to go to sleep by like 7.30, so she puts our kids to bed early. And it was like the Spirit of God came into our house last night because she stayed up with me till 2 o'clock in the morning. That hasn't happened since we were like 18. <laughs> and I told her three or four times, I was like, what has gotten into you? Where is my wife? Who are you? And she wasn't just awake. She was like talking to me and all kinds of stuff. I was like, be quiet, girl. Try to watch a movie. But in many ways, it's kind of what I'm talking to you about this morning, about when the Spirit of God comes, he just changes what's normal to you. When the Spirit of God comes into your anger, into your fear, into your disgust, right, into your sadness, what has been normal to you will be changed. You'll have something new alive inside of you, something that can take you to places that only the Spirit of God can take you. So I pray for that. The last thing I pray for is that more people would be able to go on their way rejoicing after having come into contact with us. This Ethiopian eunuch, it says that as soon as they came out of the water, he got saved, he got baptized, Philip gets taken wherever God's going to do with them, and it says the eunuch, he's like, all right, let's go. He just went on his way rejoicing. The happiest place on earth for him, you know where it is now? It's not in the presence of Candace. It's not in Ethiopia. It's not with the man who is discipling him and teaching him and baptizing him. You know where it is? It's inside of him now. He gets to go on his way rejoicing with joy because he now is the happiest place on earth because the Spirit of God has come to live inside of him. So I want to pray for us as we, as we end this series this morning. Why don't you stand and Isaiah, would you come? <clears throat> maybe, we can, uh, maybe we can play... Uh, no longer slaves to sin. Can we do that? Child of God now. That darkness has come off that dark black shirt. I feel like God is saying don't wear black anymore, people. Just kidding. But what I want to pray for as we close and as we, as we finish the series this morning, uh, I want to pray that for those that want more of the Holy Spirit, that you would be able to come forward during this time of worship and just say, I know this morning that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, this is not a, a side note or, or a, uh, some kind of optional um, part of Christianity. He's one-third of the fullness of God. And I know this morning that he is not the loudest voice in my head. He is not the leader of my emotions, but I want him to be. I want to hear God 
I want to be led by his spirit. I want to be restrained from doing things that do not please God. And I want to be released into the specific areas that do. I want to pray for, for those folks this morning. As we begin to worship, that you would just come for more of the Holy Spirit. More awareness of who he is and, and what he desires for you. That you could begin to build on that foundation. I also want to pray for those that would say maybe one or two of those emotions have just ruled and reigned in your life for, for far too long. You find sadness just has this strength and hold over you. You find anger around every corner when you think that you're okay, but something will happen and anger will come uh, and just begin to take control and authority over you. Same thing for, for any other emotion that you have that you know it's just, it's out of control. It's not what God desires. I want to pray for you that, uh, that you would be able to bring that into subjection, that you would beat your body into subjection, that you would take authority, that your emotions would be subject to you, that you would do your part of carrying that cross, that you would do your part in the labor for what it is that you want to build upon the foundation of your salvation this morning, and trust that, that God and the Spirit of God is going to do the same thing. So if you need more of the Spirit, if you need some particular area to be brought into control we're going to open the altars for you this morning, just to spend a few minutes asking God to move in those areas of your life. So, Lord, we thank you this morning. We remember, Lord, all the way back at week one of who you are, what you've done, how you call us out of darkness and into your light, Lord, how we can be in your presence, that your presence can fill us. Jesus, you said that you would send, that the Father would send the Spirit to call to our remembrance everything that you did, everything that you said, that you would write your laws on our hearts and on our minds. What a wonderful gift your spirit is to us, that we could be in the happiest place on earth every moment of every day, that when we wake up, we wouldn't wake up sad, we wouldn't wake up angry, we wouldn't wake up frustrated, we wouldn't wake up defeated, we'd wake up with joy in our hearts, overcoming any situation, any circumstance, Lord, that we'd see you, that we'd hear you this morning, God. As we transition this morning from one series into the next, Lord, our focus is still on you. You came to give us life and life more abundantly, Lord. For those that would come this morning, I pray that you would fill them afresh, fill them anew, Lord God. That there would be a passion and a desire, Lord. The things that you show them, that you put before their eyes, if it's salvation, that they'd call for it this morning. If it's baptism, that they wouldn't wait, that they'd do it tomorrow, Lord God. Whatever it is that you are speaking into their lives, that you would encourage them and give them the strength to pursue it, Lord God. For those emotions that are out of whack, that, are, that have become a perversion, have become a monster in our lives, Lord God, remind us that you are the creator of those emotions and that you can speak them back into their rightful place within us, God. Have your way. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord.